this morning, we're going to challenge you and encourage you to be in Christ and all in Christ. In Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 1 through 7, we're going to see a contrast here written by the Apostle Paul to a real church and real people. And he's describing how they used to be before Jesus Christ and how they now are as a result of Jesus Christ. And it's not to celebrate their past. It's actually to give them understanding of how you used to be, because the better understanding you have of how you used to be, the greater appreciation you have for where you are now. Ephesians chapter number two, verses one through seven says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath or judgment, like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That last line again the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. We are living rich lives, not in our own strength, but in Jesus Christ. You now have hope, not just for now, but for all eternity, not in your own strength, but it's in Jesus Christ. We're going to see a contrast between the old past and the new future. The old past and the new future. And you'll see the first point there is the old past. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's how we used to be before Jesus Christ. That passage goes on and it says in verse number two, in which you once walked. This is how you used to be. And it's not saying these things to go, ha, remember how you used to be? As we're laughing at it, it's a sobering thought of how we used to be. Before Jesus Christ, apart from our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, where would you be today? What hope would you have? See, when you understand where you've come from, it helps you appreciate your present and anticipate your future. As we think about the way that the world lives around us, we see on, on the screen, it's verse number one, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. It goes on in verse number two, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit that is now at the work of the sons of disobedience. You ever wonder why the unsaved world acts like an unsaved world? You ever wonder why people who don't know Jesus Christ as a Savior live lives that seemingly are very, very far from God? It's because that's how we all would be but for Jesus Christ. 
And as Jesus is going in to Jerusalem on this day of the triumphal entry, people are crying out, Savior, save us, Savior, save us. They're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They're calling out these things about Jesus, and he's hearing these people cry out, Savior, save us. And he knows that he's going to cost him the cross. But he says, you're worth it because I love you and I care for you, which we'll get to that in a few moments' time. But he looks upon these people and he sees these people and he says, these people are dead in their trespasses and sins. There's someone has to do something about them. Who it is, it has to be Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12, that passage in John 12 continues on in verse number 16 and gives the understanding of what took place with the disciples. You imagine the disciples, they're observing all of this and they're following Jesus' instructions. When Jesus told them to go get a cult, they went and got a cult. They're they following the instructions, not fully understanding why Jesus was telling them to do these certain things. It says in verse number 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Now, this is just my imagination. You imagine sitting around with the, the 11 disciples at this time, and they're discussing things, and they're reminiscing, maybe over a campfire, and then I don't know which disciple was the very first one that goes, oh, I now know. But you imagine sitting around, and they're reminiscing, and then all of a sudden the proverbial penny drops, and they go, oh, now I understand why he got us to bring a cult in. You know, why did he allow, make us do these various things? And it all helps them understand and put it into perspective. Now Jesus wasn't just being lazy. Why did he want us to get a, a, a donkey? Why didn't he want us to do this? Why did, you think about it, and all of a sudden it finally clicks in their minds. The old past, we begin to understand, apart from Jesus Christ, where we would be apart from Jesus. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, I want you to spend a, just a few moments and think about how you could, where you would possibly be apart from Jesus Christ. Where would your relationships be? Where would your hope be? What would you do with the most embarrassing thing that you've ever done, the sin that you don't want anyone else to know about, You'd be still carrying those things on your shoulders. You wouldn't have hope for today. You wouldn't have a hope for eternity in heaven one day. And so as we look back upon where we would have been apart from Jesus Christ, we find in this passage, first of all, that we are spiritually dead. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead. It says, and you were in the past tense. That's not in the present tense. It is as you were in the past. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when we say a person is spiritually dead, we're not saying that person only does evil or that person is incapable of doing any single act that is good. What we're saying is that person is incapable of doing anything to merit salvation and to reach God's standard of holiness in their own strength and their own power. So we find in this passage, before Christ, we were spiritually dead. It goes on and it says in verse number two, that we had the spirit of disobedience. Many th parts of our life, we always think that in certain ages, then we'll no longer have peer pressure. 
and will no longer have the pressure of outside influences. When I'm finally this particular age, I won't have to worry about peer pressure. And I think that's a lie that's told to teenagers. You know, finally, when you're no longer a teenager, you won't suffer with peer pressure anymore. But that's not true at all. It just transforms to another form as we get older. As we think about the things that are influencing us, we often think of the, the bad influences in our life. Well, more than just a bad influence as a friend, we have the bad influence that it says in verse number two, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. In other words, everyone's walking along the same journey, following the prince of the power of the air. Things that you're being influenced by is by Satan himself. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were the result of our circumstances around us because we were very far from God and we were being influenced and directed by Satan himself. Before Jesus Christ, you were spiritually dead. You had the spirit of disobedience, the satanic spirit living inside of us. In other words, we weren't possessed necessarily, but we certainly had those negative influences. And it goes on, and this is something we don't revel in and celebrate, but we celebrate what's happened as a result. The old past is we had sure doom. The passage uses the word, that's a third point, the passage uses the term the children of wrath or the children of judgment. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and of the mind, whereby nature we were the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I think that last part is like the rest of mankind because it's easy to look back upon it and going, well, I'm fine now. And we forget that that's how we used to be. And apart from Jesus Christ, where would you be today? In order for you to be here this morning, so many varying things had to take place, not just in today, like you think, in order for me to be here today, I had to get out of bed. Let's think a little bit beyond just the immediate. There's so many various things that had to take place for you to be here this morning. Look back upon time. Let's go back several generations. Maybe your family migrated here or your family moved and you know, people had to meet and they get married and have children. All these various things had to take place in order for you to be born. And then you, people moved and the job circumstances changed. You met people, however it is, and you ended up here at this very place at this very time. And you think, God, in your providence, somehow you worked all these things out for me to be in this very place at this very time. And you have something for me today. Before Jesus Christ, it's a sobering thought that we don't rejoice in the fact that we had sure doom, the children of wrath. The beautiful thing we see in the very words of Jesus in John chapter number three is that Jesus came not to leave us where he found us, but to take us away from that. In John chapter three, verse 17 and 18, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And when Jesus is talking here, he's talking himself, but he's talking about himself. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, and whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In Luke chapter number 19, we see the same account of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry. 
but it's a different account given by Luke. And in Luke 19, we see the attitude of Jesus. As he enters into the city, people are crying out, Hosanna, save us, Savior, save us. Blessed is the name of, of, of God. And you look at that and you think, that's wonderful. He's being triumphantly entered in to the, uh, into the city. But he goes on in verses 41 and 42 of Luke chapter 19 and says, And when he drew near, he saw the city. And what was Jesus' response? He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now are hidden from your eyes. Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem, knowing that he was going towards the cross, not because he was afraid of the cross, but because he didn't want people to miss out on the message of the cross. And this week, as we begin to prepare ourselves for Easter, we don't want to remain as spiritually dead. We want to now live our new lives. And this passage continues on in a beautiful transition. Verse number four of Ephesians chapter two. The first two words is, but God. If that passage and the thought would have finished on verse number three, you go, here's how you used to be. You ever had someone remind you about how you used to be? visit with an old friend and they remind you of things because their memory of you was 20 years earlier or talking to the young people like you know six months earlier and you look who you used to be and they remind you i remember you you used to do all these things and they often bring up all your failures and all your mistakes and the things you go i really wish i they wouldn't bring that up that's why i moved away and all these things that are, that are brought up, and they remind us of who we used to be. And that's really verses 1 through 3, who we used to be. But I don't want to be that person anymore. Verse number 4 goes on and says, but God. Thank God for that transition, that he didn't leave us where he found us. And it goes on, and in this passage we see a new future. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I don't want to, as a person that knows Jesus Christ as his Savior, remain in the old way. I don't want to live as if I was still spiritually dead. I don't want to live as if I'm still spiritually disobedient and far from God. And I certainly don't want to live as if a person that is, has doom and being condemned. I want to live as a person that has been regenerated by Jesus Christ. And you do too. We don't want to live in the old way anymore. We want to live in the new way. And here's, there's three things we find in this passage that we find that we can live in this new future. And as Jesus Christ is on his way to the cross, and people are crying out, Savior, save us. I believe what's going through his mind is preparing himself to be the Savior so he could truly be the Savior they're crying out for. And the moment wasn't a by accident. 
He wasn't going to the cross and going towards Jerusalem thinking, oh, I didn't mean to be here. It wasn't by mistake by any stretch. He knew exactly where he was going, exactly what was going to take place. He knew the cost that it was going to cost him. When Jesus Christ took the sins of the world upon his shoulders and died on a cross, it wasn't just the physical pain of being crucified that that was Jesus crying out which is horrendous and disgusting as a, as a Roman crucifixion is. I don't enjoy thinking about the crucifixion. The worst part of the cross, the Bible describes God turning his back upon his son. For the very first time in all eternity, the perfect unity between God the Father and God the Son had been broken apart because of sin. And Jesus took the sacrifice and he died and he could have remained in the grave. And the Bible talks about the fact that God accepted that sacrifice and raised Jesus from the dead. And accepting that sacrifice, giving us now salvation through Jesus Christ because our sins have been bought paid for on the cross, delivered, and now it's up to us to accept this wonderful free gift of salvation. That's really the message of Easter. The message of Easter is not just that Jesus rose from the dead, which is wonderful. That's incomplete. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and now you and I can live new life in this new future. We see here, it begins with love. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Something is wonderful when you tell somebody you love them and they say it back. I was thinking about, for some reason, I mean, granted, I daily tell my wife, and this is a truth, and you should do the same thing to your spouse. Tell them you love them. You tell your children you love them. And make it awkward for your teenagers. It's okay to kiss your hug, your hug and kiss your teenagers and tell them you love them. And, and if, if it embarrasses them, that's okay. Because it's good for them to know. But the very first time that I told Tammy, uh, I, I love you, it was scary as it came out. And we were sitting in a car and we were living in the United States at the time. So I was on this side and she was on my right hand side. And I was sitting there and I was holding the steering wheel of the car. And it's funny enough, I caught myself doing this. And I'm not a guy that, that sits around drawing love hearts, like never in my life. But I was outlining a love heart on the steering wheel. And I thought, oh, what was I just doing? Did she just notice what I was doing? And then I looked across to her, and I looked down, and I didn't make eye contact. I was looking out, and I said, Tammy, I'm sure I'm, it probably didn't come out as smoothly as this. Tammy, I love you. I'm sure it came out, Tammy. I said, I love you. And the, sick, the, the seconds ticked by. felt like hours waiting for that response. And thankfully, she didn't say, that's nice or take me home now, she said, I love you too. It's a wonderful thing. When you put it out there, I love you. It says God being rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. He says that I love you. I have life for you. 
And you think about that wonderful love that he has for us. It's an attribute of God that's a really a foundational attribute of God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, God is love. And because God is love, therefore he acts upon that love. And because of the attribute of God, it's so one of the defining characteristics of God, it, it filters through every other thing that God does in us and for us, even when he seems to punish us, it's ultimately because he loves us. And when he directs us and, and, and molds us and we go through difficult times, it's because he loves us and he wants the best for us. We see there not just the love, we also see that we're given life. As we celebrate life, we often we celebrate people's birthdays. And it's not just that we celebrate birthdays because we like cake and ice cream. Or if you're coming to my party this afternoon straight after church, it's cookies and chocolate chip biscuits and ice cream, which you're welcome to have one. The thought is we celebrate a new birth. We've had people in our church in the last couple of weeks have children. We go to the hospital and visit with them and we celebrate this new life and we think that's wonderful. And the parents are dead tired and they go, yes, it's wonderful too. But what about if we celebrated our new life in Christ? Think about the day that you placed your trust upon Christ as your Savior, when he took you from being dead in your trespasses and sins and made you alive in Christ. As it says in verse number five, you were made alive with Christ. Think about that day. Maybe you have the pleasure of knowing that date. I grew up in a Christian home and I heard the gospel from an early age and I was with my father. My father helped lead me and I was asking questions and I placed my trust upon Christ as my Savior at a very young age. And I'll admit that it was a very young age, at the age of five years old. And I remember that conversation very distinctly, but I do not know the date. My dad had written it down in, in a Bible of his and when he was on a trip, he put his Bible on top of the taxi and he got in the car and the taxi drove away and the Bible went... So somewhere in Brisbane, there's a Bible with the date of my salvation. But it doesn't really matter if I know the date or not. I know, I know it's true. But would it be wonderful not just to celebrate our physical birth, but to celebrate our spiritual birthdays and say, this is the love and the life that he has given to us. He's given us now new life, which is the second point. I'm going to share a, a video in just a moment. I'm prefacing it this way, is that I'm only sharing this video because it makes a statement that I want you to remember, not because I'm in any way condoning Frankenstein. In 1931, this movie Frankenstein was produced, and you took a guy that was a dead body, and you put him together with some electricity and some crazy science, made someone come alive. Now, granted, that's totally science fiction. But you think about what took place in order for you to be made alive. As silly as that is, I want you to remember that. That's why I put that on as a, as a, as a reminder to you. You think about the fact that you were dead and now you've been made alive, not by a crazy scientist with electricity, but by Jesus Christ coming to earth, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, and giving us life, not just for now, but for all eternity. And that leads us into the next point, the fact that we've been lifted. God didn't just save us from our sins and say, I'll see you in eternity one day. Go work out life for yourself. He's given us now a new position in Christ. 
it says that we have been seated with him in the heavenly places. And the beautiful thing we see there is now we are no longer the old people we used to be. Now we have a new position. As a, and my last name is Nelson, as a Nelson, there are certain rights and privileges that I have. I can walk into my parents' home pretty much anytime I want to because I'm a Nelson and I'm a son of the Nelsons. My children have incredible privileges. They can walk into my house and steal, and steal, take my food from, from the, <laughs> steal my food and all the time because they are my children. You are now children of God if you know Christ as your Savior. And you know what? You have now been lifted to a new position. And it goes on that passage and says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why did he do that? So that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Pastor and author, a man named Warren Wearsby, who wrote many books that I enjoy learning from, he said this, We are not raised from the dead to be left in the graveyard. We have not been raised from the dead to be left in the graveyard. You have not been saved from your sins to remain in your sins, to remain in your, the way you used to live. Now we've been saved to live a new life, that is the real message of Easter. And so that changes the way that we look at people around us. As we observe people around us in our community, my challenge to you is to take time and take the opportunities that are God-given opportunities to share God's love with others because that may be the day that they go from being spiritually dead to being made alive in Christ by simply having a conversation. So therefore, when you go to work tomorrow, we don't just go through the motions of work. We look for opportunities to share the gospel. As you go to school tomorrow, you take the opportunities to share the hope that resides inside of you so that you can share the good news with others. As you go to the shops, we take the time, we budget the time to say, I'm going to expect to be here for 30 minutes instead of five minutes because I'm going to be looking for opportunities to talk with people and connect so we sit down in the cereal aisle and have a spiritual conversation about God in front of the cornflakes. In your bulletin, we have these cards, which are Easter invitation cards. They're simply invitations to come to church this Friday and also this coming Sunday as we're going to be celebrating and remembering Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And these cards are simply reminders that you can hand out. My challenge to you, we have several hundred of them, is to take a small pile and to commit to inviting your neighbors in your immediate area. Take some to work, take some to school. But use these as opportunities. They're simply tools to invite other people to hear about what God has done in your life. One final thing. Maybe you're yet to place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. You've heard the message today and you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't have that new life. Where you're seated right now, you can place your trust upon Christ as your Savior. You can repent of your sins and turn towards God. You can accept His free gift of salvation. I would love to show you and take, take you to the side and show you out of the Bible how you can know Jesus Christ personally, not just for now, but for all eternity in heaven. 
if you would do me that honor. Another way, to, a good way to communicate is through the connection card in your bulletin. There's some more on the table out there. And just mark on there you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, and we'll be in touch and we'll try to connect you and help you understand your newfound position in Christ. The challenge is to connect and grow and serve in Christ. Don't do it in your own strength and power. But my encouragement to you in this next few moments is just take some time and to think about what God has done in your life. How are you different now because of the cross? How are you different now because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life? 